All right, who's glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Come on, come on, let's thank the Lord. Great worship so far, man, it's awesome. I want to welcome everybody on all of our campuses today, especially those of you who are watching on the live stream. And this is a very special day. In fact, this is such a special day that I'm praying that many of you who are watching this on the live stream will literally respond to this message by getting in your car and driving to one of our campuses so that you can physically participate in what's going to be happening here today at the very next service. Now, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about, you know, this series of wonder, man, about trying to do two things at the same time. Uh, we've been unpacking the why behind, you know, so many of the things that we do when we get together to worship every week. And then we've also been talking about this sense of wonder that occasionally comes because we do these things. And if you missed any of those messages, man, you can watch them on our website. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can check them out there. And if you watch these messages, if you missed them, they'll make you stronger. But today we're going to talk about why baptism is such a big deal in our church. And I just want to show you my cards up front. We believe that baptism by immersion is such a big deal in the mind of Jesus, Peter, Paul, and the New Testament church that if you're a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized by full immersion, we're going to encourage you to get baptized today. Now, you've got to be thinking, dude, that is a crazy invitation. You've got to be wondering why. And let me just tell you, why is it you know, that, that what looks like a, a, a religious ritual to some is such a big deal to Compassion Christians that every single member of our church has been baptized by immersion, just like Jesus. Well, friends, I want to suggest that baptism is not a meaningless ritual. It is, in fact, an experience that you can have with Jesus. And friend, if you put your faith in him, it will bless you in ways that you will never forget. Now, I would not be surprised if some of y'all were think, sitting here thinking right now, Cam, you know, I think I was baptized. I think it was by immersion. I just don't remember. Friend, if you have been baptized the way Jesus taught us to be baptized, you would never forget that. You would never forget that. And you can receive that blessing today. So let's talk about what the New Testament teaches about baptism. Now, I know this is crazy, but there are people who have super strong opinions about baptism who have never actually studied what Jesus said about it. So why don't we start with what Jesus said because I promise you, no New Testament writer disagrees with what Jesus said about this. In the last, book of the, of, uh, in the last chapter of the book of Matthew, if you've got your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Jesus gives his last words to his followers. We call it the Great Commission. Man, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Everybody say baptizing them. <laughs> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus commanded water baptism? I mean, why didn't he just say something easier, like go and make disciples and uh, require them to memorize my genealogy or require them to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land? Why in the world did he, you know, command us to fully immerse new disciples in water? I mean, it just seems like kind of a strange practice when you think about it. You know, I have a really good friend in the church here. His family has been just huge players in our ministry for decades now. But he grew up in a denominational church where his parents, for the best of motives, had him baptized as an infant. And when he started coming to our church, he was not so keen on the idea of getting dunked in public as an adult. And I remember the first time I met him. I was standing outside the door where I used to stand and shake hands with everybody uh, after every service. 
And he came out and introduced himself. He said, Ken, we've been coming here for a few weeks. Man, love to get together and talk with you about why you think I need to get dunked because my baptism didn't count. Now, that's a subtle guy right there. Amen. <laughs> subtle. He loved our church, but he'd been watching adults just like himself being baptized by immersion. And he wondered why. And can I just tell you, that's a great question. And there's a great answer for it. Friends, about a thousand years ago, during the dark ages in certain places, the church started teaching that the act of baptism automatically made you a Christian, whether you had any faith or not. Now, this is called the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. And friends, it is a dramatic man-made departure from the historic teaching of the New Testament church. They reasoned that circumcision made little boys Jewish. And so baptism can make the kids in your family Christians. Consequently, newborn babies started being baptized. And then they were told later on, you're a Christian because your family decided to have you baptized as an infant. And you'll have to confirm that at some point in the future. But you're good to go right now. And friends, there is not one word in the New Testament to support that. There is not a single example of that anywhere in the New Testament. Not one. Consequently, about 500 years ago, thank God, Protestant reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and some of these guys strongly objected to baptismal regeneration, insisting that following Jesus requires a response of faith. Friends, following Jesus is not a decision your parents can make for you. You have to choose to put your faith in Jesus. So accurately, the reformers taught that you, listen, you can be baptized until you are waterlogged. But if it is not an expression of your personal faith in Jesus, at the end of that soaking, you will be a soaking, wet, unsaved sinner. <laughs> Inaccurately, though, those same Protestant leaders overreacted to the you know, doctrine of baptismal regeneration. They went to the opposite extreme, leaving the impression that baptism has no connection with giving your life to Jesus. It's just something disciples of Jesus ought to do when and if they feel like it. It's just like when little kids, you know, when the parents say, you just do what I tell you because I told you. And you should be baptized because God said do it. There's no actual significance to it at all. And friends, baptism is an act of obedience to Jesus. And that is all the reason any follower of Christ should need for being baptized. But you've got to know God doesn't ask you to do anything unless there are significant life-changing reasons behind every command. And so on this special day, when we're praying that many of our friends will put their faith in Jesus and be baptized, let me just answer that question. I wonder why baptism is so important. And I wonder why Jesus commands every disciple to be baptized, so much so that that crazy preacher has got a swimming pool on the stage today. All right? So here we go. Number one, being baptized meets our need for an expression of faith. Everybody say expression. expression. It's an expression of faith. Friends, God has created us in such a way that almost every emotion has an appropriate outlet. Man, when we get sad, we cry. When we get afraid, we scream. When we get joyful, we laugh. When we feel gratitude, we give. Man, when we feel love, we give a warm embrace. Listen, when Jesus ran the money changers out of the temple, he showed that righteous anger is an appropriate response to injustice. Now, William James said that an impression without an expression leads to depression. 
And I think that's why so many times when Jesus heals somebody, he gave them something to do to receive their healing. Now, what they did didn't earn that healing, of course, but it was an expression of their faith that he could heal them. I mean, in John chapter 9, there was a blind man. He rubbed mud on that guy's eyes, told him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And when he washed his eyes, like Jesus said, he was, he was healed. He told 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17, you're dying of a, of a terminal disease. Man, go to the priest and show, the, show them what happened. And man, on faith, they just took out in that direction. And on the way to the temple, they were healed. He told a man with a withered hand, never developed his whole life in Matthew chapter 12, just stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out that hand, he was healed. Now, the truth is Jesus could have instantaneously healed all those folks without any action on their part, but he asked for a response of faith for their benefit. Dude, it was for their good. So what does he ask you to do when you finally put your faith in Jesus, when you finally understand that he is the son of God and he died on a cross as an atoning sacrifice for your sins? Man, when your hard heart it's opened up by the love of God and you want to receive his faith. Jesus has provided baptism as a means for your expressing your faith in him. And this is so clear in Acts chapter 2. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bible with you, Acts chapter 2 is one book. Well, it's a bunch of books to the right. But anyway, turn to Acts chapter 2. Man, Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2. He's the leader of the apostles. He's standing in front of the very people who had crucified Jesus. And listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And then, man, if you read on through that sermon, man, he went on to say, you are the very guys who crucified the Son of God. And then God raised him from the dead. And everybody in this city knows that. And man, if he hadn't risen from the dead, they would have shouted him down and Christianity would have died right there. But everybody in Jerusalem knew. They knew he had risen from the dead. And Peter said, today he is seated. He is at the right hand of God. <laughs> He's right hand of the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And amazingly, you read through this chapter, man, the very people who had conspired to kill Jesus just 50 days ago are now becoming convicted by the Holy Spirit for their sins because they knew Peter was right. And man, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? They believed. They knew this good news was true. They realized they had crucified the Son of God and now they wanted to put their faith in him so they could be saved. And so they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? We're guilty. We need to be saved. What do we do? Now, how Peter answers that question is really important. Does he say, well, there's nothing you can do. I mean, salvation is all of God. And if he's predestined you to be saved, he'll just let you know. You just wait for him to call you out somehow. He doesn't say that. Neither does he said, if you want to receive Jesus, man, just raise your hand. Raise your hand right now if you believe this message. He doesn't say that either. Neither does he say, well, just bow your head with me and we're going to pray this simple prayer of faith. He didn't say that either. Look at how Peter answers that question. What do we do? He says, repent. Dude, you need to turn from the past way of thinking and behavior that shaped your life. And very often that does start with a prayer. And you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
He tells people who put their faith in Jesus to repent of their sins and be baptized into Christ. Friends, God ordained baptism for many reasons, but I'll tell you, one of them is to meet our need for a meaningful, public expression of faith that saves us. Faith that saves us. Now, you know, I have never heard anybody say after being baptized, all right, Cam, what else I got to do? What else I got to do to be accepted by the Lord? But I'll tell you what I have heard. I've heard hundreds of times after people publicly confess their faith and were baptized into Christ, here's what they say. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I did that. I wish I'd done this years ago. I feel brand new. My buddy, who wanted to know why I thought he ought to be dunked, I had a great visit with him. I talked him through the nine different conversions that are described in the book of Acts in which every, every one of those examples, people put their faith in Christ, repented of their sins, were baptized into Christ. He didn't believe it, so he studied it on his own. He read the Bible for himself, thought about it, got dunked. <laughs> he and his wife and his son. And that family has been a part of our family, making a difference here for years. Now, the truth is he loved Jesus and served Jesus for years before he ever heard what the New Testament actually taught about baptism because he was in a church, sadly, that didn't teach what the New Testament says. But you know what I love about that guy? The minute he realized what Jesus wanted, dude, he was in. He's all in. And friend, he got in line right behind everybody else in the New Testament who put their faith in Jesus after he rose from the dead. Now listen, he didn't get baptized because I argued him to death. I told him the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and it means to dip and immerse and plunge and hold people under the water till they start bubbling. That's not why he got saved. That's not why he got baptized. He got baptized as a natural expression of his love and his faith in Jesus. But friends, being baptized also meets our need for cleansing. Everybody say cleansing. Cleansing, cleansing from sin. Did you know that the Bible says that when you embrace a sinful style of life, the look on your face can get changed by that? I mean, you've seen little girls do this, go buck wild, and a year or so later, there's a hardness about their appearance. There's a sadness about their appearance. It's the same thing happens with young men. Sometimes sin affects the way you look. But let me tell you what sin always does. When you embrace sin, it always leaves you feeling spiritually dirty inside. We talk about it like a guilty conscience. And listen, this is real. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, murder, adultery, sexual impurity, stealing, lying, slander. It makes you spiritually unclean. His brother James said in chapter one of his book, man, to be careful about being polluted by the world. He talked about the need to get rid of this moral filthiness that, that sticks to us when we embrace sin. And friends, that's what it means. That, that means that when your heart is working right, and our heart doesn't always work right, but when it does work right, when you do wrong, you feel wrong. You feel contaminated from the inside. And in our saner moments, that makes us really desire a clean conscience. We really desire to have a pure heart. Man, especially when we think about having to stand before the Lord one day. I mean, that's what happened to King David. King David felt so awful about his adultery with Bathsheba and then the lies and the murder and the cover-up that followed that eventually, man, in Psalm 51, he just prayed, Lord, have mercy on me. 
Have mercy on me, Lord. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, Lord. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's what Pontius Pilate wanted. You remember when in the crucifixion story, Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but when he got on trial, he just capitulated that mob of haters for political reasons. And you remember what Pilate did? He called for a basin of water and ceremonially just washed his hands and he told everybody, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. That joker wanted cleansing from sin even as he was sinning. The Hindus believe that if you just dip yourself in the Ganges River, your sin will just be automatically washed away. The Muslims in our world never go to bed with any sense that their sins are washed away. Man, they just live in hope that, you know, God will be merciful. Nearly every religion on our planet acknowledges that there's this need for freedom from guilt, this need for cleansing from sin. And unfortunately, no matter how hard we try, none of these man-made solutions erase the guilt of our sin and purify our conscience once it's been contaminated. But there is one. There's one person who can cleanse us of sin, and his name is Jesus. And he voluntarily died for our sins and then rose from the dead and friends, the blood of Jesus alone can wipe your slate completely clean. It can wash you whiter than snow. This is why the, what the Hebrew writer was talking about when he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And you know, sometimes here in church we'll sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And man, when we become a follower of Christ, we put our trust in his substitutionary death on the cross to cleanse us, not on any good deeds, not on any religious rituals on our part. Man, we admit we cannot pay for our sins on our own. We say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died an atoning death for me. His blood is the only thing that can make me spiritually clean. I'm trusting in him to forgive all my sins. And then, friends, baptism becomes this beautiful refreshing symbol of that cleansing that comes when we put our faith in Jesus. In fact, baptism is a drama in which you get to play the part of Christ in a reenactment of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And friends, I'm telling you, you can see that when somebody's being immersed. Just like Jesus was laid in the tomb, we lay you under the water for just a second. And just like he was trusting the Lord to raise him up, Man, you're trusting Jesus to wash away all your sin for his death on the cross, you know, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And just like Jesus was in the tomb, you know, for three days, we hold you under the water for three minutes, right? <laughs> just kidding about that. But let me tell you, when you come out of that water, you rise up a new person in Christ because of your faith in Jesus, totally forgiven, cleansed of all your sin, past, present, future, all things become new. Friends, this is why Paul, you know, who was just a ruthless persecutor of Christians, you know, he eventually turns, you know, into one of the most devoted followers of Christ at the end of his ministry, still has a sense of wonder about his baptism. I mean, in Acts chapter 22, after all three missionary journeys, after he wrote the book of Romans, Paul still has this sense of wonder about his baptism and he shares his testimony in Jerusalem and he told everybody about Ananias, the guy who led him to Christ and told him, and now, Paul, now that you put your faith in Jesus, brother, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
Now friends, Jesus commanded every one of his disciples to be baptized because he knew that we all have a, a, a need for that sense of spiritual cleansing. But that's not the only reason baptism is important. Being baptized also meets our need for a benchmark of commitment. Everybody say commitment. Friends, think about all the significant benchmarks in your life. Your birthday is a benchmark. Now, let me tell you something. Your life began when you were conceived in your mother's womb. But your birthday is that benchmark that we celebrate. Graduation day is a benchmark. There are a lot of factors that you know have to be in play before we receive a degree. But that ceremony, man, is the culmination of all that. Your wedding date is a benchmark. Now, that's not the day you fell in love. That's not the day you decided to commit your, to, to your mate for life. But that is the day when you began your married life together. And if you don't think that benchmark is important, you just forget it one year and watch what happens. All right. Now, friends, baptism is that kind of benchmark for followers of Jesus. Uh, I love the way the message translation uh, translates Romans 6, 1 through 4. It says, so what do we do? Man, do we just keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? You know, there were some really immature believers in the Roman church who thought that they were, since they were saved by grace, the more they sinned, the more grace, you know, they would receive. And like that would be a good thing, which is a little nutty, which is why Paul responds, man, I, I should hope not. Listen, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and we left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left that old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. You know, I remember a couple of years ago baptizing a guy who grew up in a Jewish home. And he knew that if he gave his life to Jesus, it was going to cause him problems with his family. But he was so convinced that Jesus was the son of God that he put his faith in Jesus. And I baptized him into Christ. And I've heard him say several times since then, you know, I'm a Christian now. I, I, I'm a Christian now. I, I follow Jesus now. You know, just like a couple might say when they walk down the aisle after their wedding ceremony, I'm married now. This guy's identity changed. His baptism marked that spiritual birthday. And he knows he's a follower of Jesus now. Now, let's be real clear about something. Jesus is the source of salvation, not baptism. Can I hear Amen. You know, it's not like dipping in the Ganges River for a Hindu. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. In Acts chapter 3, Peter said, repent then and turn to God. He's the one who saves. Then your sins will be wiped out. In Romans chapter 10, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's the one who will save you. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized, that's the person who'll be saved. Now, we're not saying that somebody who calls on the Lord on their deathbed can't be saved because they weren't baptized. Listen, man, God's grace is amazing. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. But I'll tell you, when you put your trust in him and you repent of your sins and you call upon him for forgiveness and you publicly confess your faith and you're baptized into Christ, you should be absolutely assured of your salvation. You should know it. Friends, baptism is a benchmark of a new beginning, a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And man, when we've responded to God's grace and the way he asked us to respond, dude, you ought to be confident about that. And again, baptism doesn't earn you anything. Baptism is not any kind of meritorious work. I mean, good night. When you get baptized, I'm doing all the work. Amen? 
but it is a response of faith to God's grace. And let me tell you, if that's what it was for you, like the Apostle Paul, you will look back on your baptism with joy for the rest of your life. Now, friends, this is why baptism is such a big deal to God and to Jesus and Peter and Paul. And let me give you just one last thought. Being baptized meets our need for humility. Everybody say humility. humility. You know what the biggest barrier is between most people and God? I don't think it's repetitive sin issues like greed and lust and doubt and jealousy and laziness and all stuff like that. I think the single greatest obstacle between a man and God is pride. Everybody say pride. pride. Our pride wants to say, I can do it on my own. I can suck it up. I can get myself together. It takes a lot of humility to say, nope, I'm going to have to have God's help with my sin problem. And friends, you will never stand taller than when you bow before the Lord Jesus. Peter wrote, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up in due time. Man, I think this is one of the primary reasons why Jesus instituted Christian baptism. It's a pride extinguisher. That's what it is. I mean, I've seen all kinds of people in the baptistry. I'll tell you one person I've never seen in the baptistry. I've never seen a proud person in the baptistry. Now, they might have been arrogant in the past and they might become arrogant in the future, but I've never seen anybody prideful in the baptistry. And it's kind of a cool thing. You know, you see some impressive person come forward at the invitation to be baptized into Christ. He's wearing really expensive clothes. She's rocking a couple hundred dollars worth of hair and makeup. A few minutes later, he's in a T-shirt that says found, forgiven, free. She is too. And that hair is in a lot of trouble. Amen. <laughs> you know, baptism is a humbling act, but it's not a humiliating one. It's actually a beautiful picture of a wise person submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 8, we find uh, one of my favorite stories is of the Ethiopian cabinet official who had traveled to Jerusalem from Africa to find God. I mean, he's on a hunt. He needs God. He knows he needs God. He knows he needs spiritual cleansing. He knows he needs a new life. He goes to Jerusalem. That's where he's supposed to be able to find God. Spends a bunch of time up there. Leaves town disappointed. Disappointed. But thank God he didn't give up. While he was in Jerusalem, he bought a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's in this chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah where it says, you know, that one day God would send a savior and that savior would be pierced for our transgressions and he'll be crushed for our iniquity. And man, the punishment that brings us peace is going to be on him and by his wounds we'll all be healed. But that Ethiopian guy had no clue who this was. He didn't know what this meant. And then by God's grace, his caravan makes its way through the countryside and they meet this stranger who calls out and says, Sir, do you understand what you're reading? And this, you know, powerful politician from Africa says, I got to admit, I don't. Could you help me? And the guy said, I think I can. And that stranger's name was Philip. He was a follower of Jesus. The scripture says he started right there in Isaiah chapter 53. And he told that guy the good news about Jesus. You can read that story in Acts chapter 8. Man, you should read it. Because it says in verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the Ethiopian guy said, look, here's water. Say it with me, everybody. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And then they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And that Ethiopian guy went home, went on his way rejoicing. Now look at this passage for a second. 
If you have ever shared the gospel with somebody and you did not talk about the blessing of baptism, you are not sharing the gospel the way they did in the book of Acts. Philip told this guy the good news about Jesus and his first question was, why shouldn't I be baptized? And let me tell you, a minute later he was because of his humble faith in Jesus. Now friends, baptism was an expression of that man's faith in Christ. And it was a pledge of his clean conscience toward God. And it was a benchmark of his commitment. And it was a demonstration of his humility as he yielded himself to Jesus as the Lord of his life. Now, friends, we're going to do something here today that many of us have been fasting and praying about for weeks. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do exactly what that Ethiopian nobleman did, to respond to the good news about Jesus right now. Now, you've been hearing about how we honor Jesus in our lives for the last five weeks. It's time for some of us to do something about it. That Ethiopian man went on his way rejoicing because he put his faith in Jesus and was baptized into Christ. And so here's the deal. I'm going to ask everybody on all of our campuses to stand up with me right now. Everybody stand up. Everybody. Everybody up on every campus. Come on. We're not going to put any pressure on anybody. Dude, if we've got to put pressure on you, you're not ready, right? I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the good news about Jesus. I'm going to ask every follower of Christ in this room and in all of our worship centers to start praying like crazy that anybody here who needs to make a decision for Jesus will do it today. But let me just say, some of you, you're at the point right now where you're ready to admit that deep down sin has contaminated your life and it has separated you from God. You know you need Jesus. You know you need grace. You know you need to be saved. You know you need a forgiver. You need what Jesus did for you on the cross. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to meet somebody tonight that can do something about all that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and you can ask Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life right now. Now again, friends, saying a prayer will not save you. But if that prayer expresses the true intent of your heart, this is going to be a holy moment when you commit your life to Christ. So let's all pray together. And if you're ready to give your life to Christ, you pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I have wondered long enough, and I know this is my day of decision. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I want to receive the gift of eternal life that you paid for on the cross. So Jesus, I am putting my trust in you and you alone. Lord, you know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins, and I'm willing to change. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Take my life. Use it any way you choose. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Now, friend, if you prayed that prayer authentically for the first time, you just put your faith in Jesus. Let's thank the Lord, everybody. Come on. Let's thank the Lord. Now, there are others of us here today, honestly, who gave our life to Christ years ago, but you got off the path somehow, somewhere, and you need to rededicate your life to turning back to God and living in a new direction. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me as well. So let's pray one more time. Come on, y'all. Father, I want to thank you for being so patient with me, waiting for this day when I would come back to you. Jesus, I want to turn back to you. I want to walk in a new direction. I want to walk your way. And Lord, I just ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help me change the direction of my life. Over time, Lord, change me, transform me. 
And I pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, now if today or if at some other point in your life you've made either one of these commitments to the Lord, I hope you're ready to courageously make one more. I'm going to ask you to go public and be baptized into Christ because you now know the leader and forgiver of your life ask you to do so. So everybody be seated for a moment because friends, I'm going <laughs> to... Here comes the big, audacious, you ain't going to believe this, only a compassionate Christian invitation. And you know this is either going to be really amazing or really awkward, all right? But you know the truth is, you never get to see God do anything amazing if you're not willing to risk getting embarrassed. And we're expecting great things from God. And honestly, we're expecting great things from you too. So here we go. If you've put your faith in Christ, I want to invite you to be baptized today in this service, just like the Ethiopian nobleman, right now. I mean, do it for the one who died to save you. Now, if you're thinking right now, Cam, I couldn't do it today. Why not? Man, why not? The Ethiopian cabinet member did the first time he heard the gospel. Well, Cam, I hadn't had a baptism class yet. Yes, you have. This sermon was it. You're probably thinking, Cam, I don't have a towel. You know what? We got hundreds of towels for you right here. I didn't bring a change of clothes. Your clothes will dry. Well, Cam, I'm wearing something light colored. The water will make it show through. I got a dark t-shirt for you right here. We got robes. If you're wearing a dress today, we'll take care of you. Well, Cam, what if I have to drive home? My car will get wet. Who cares if your car gets wet? We live in Savannah. It'll dry in 30 minutes. Amen. Come on. But can you think of a better reason for your car to get wet? And if you're just a nut about it, we got a trash bag for you here. It'll take care of your little car. All right. Well, what about my cell phone? What about my wallet? We got a baggie right here for your little cell phone and wallet. We got some honest people who will watch it for you. They don't look honest, but they really are honest, all right? <laughs> now, friends, some of y'all are thinking, Cam, my family might not agree. This is not between you and your family. This is between you and the Lord Jesus. And it is always better to obey him as soon as you know what he wants. Now, friends, we're not baptizing anybody under 13 unless you have already spoken to one of our student pastors first because when you're a student and you're 18, we want you to think back about why you were baptized and be just as clear on it at 18 as you are right now. But let me just tell you, friends, I would never ask you to do this for the wrong reason. I would never ask you to be baptized because your friends are or your family are or you're all caught up in the emotion of the moment. This is not about emotion. This is about obeying the Lord. But I don't have to tell you that obeying Jesus can be a very emotional thing. So I'm going to ask our team to come forward right now. And I'm going to turn this service over to the guys at our regional campuses and I'm going to ask them to help you honor Jesus in a way that you will remember for the rest of your life. So we love you guys. Uh, campus pastors, take it from here.